you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. The Lord has been dealing with me um, ever since the start of the year, I suppose, um, in regards to prayer in my prayer life. And I know that some people think I am like a broken record because every time it seems that I come to you, that I come to you from the subject of prayer. But it seems that more and more I am seeing the immeasurable value of knowing how to pray. I really don't think that you can put an actual price tag on prayer or that we can even surmise what the true benefits of knowing how to pray actually is. Last week, we were um, privileged to attend a prayer conference up in the Chicagoland area called Chicago Fire. And the conference was, um, was sponsored by the World Network of Prayer, which is the prayer division for the United Pentecostal Church. Now, mind you, this was a prayer conference, and so, of course, the theme was going to be prayer. And so, at the beginning of um, all of the services, uh, there were um, prayer leaders that would lead the congregation uh, through led prayer. And that first night on Thursday night, I watched as those that were able to attend from our church were almost mesmerized by listening to uh, these prayer warriors literally usher in the presence of God through prayer. And I even looked as some of them were very wide-eyed because they weren't uh, praying simple prayers as, you know, oh God, you've been so good and we're so thrilled to have you in our midst but they were praying very powerful prayers. I remember turning around that Thursday night and looking at that um, kind of shocked look on everyone's face, and Kevin Spangler have to, happened to be sitting uh, directly behind me, and I looked at him and said, and you thought that I yelled at the devil? Yeah, I don't think so. There was some incredibly powerful prayers that were going um, up from intercessors, they didn't learn that by accident. That didn't happen just by osmosis because one day they were filled with the Holy Ghost and suddenly they learned how to pray. I believe that I shared with you one time that 
um, I was, I, and I remember this specifically, I was 37 years old and a mother of three. And um, I was praying one day and I said to the Lord, God, when I grow up, <laughs> I want to be Vesta Mangan. And I literally heard the voice of the Lord speak back into my spirit. You are 37 years old. Exactly when do you intend to grow up? And I just remember that being such a, well, a slap almost, a, a, a chide from the Lord that I was expecting to all of a sudden wake up and to be a prayer warrior. But prayer warriors, that, that doesn't happen by osmosis. That is somebody who has taken the time to develop a prayer life. And most of them, if you were to talk to them, would probably testify of the fact that there was someone in their life that taught them how to pray, that exampled in front of them what it was actually like to have a prayer life. You see, I am a living image of a legacy that has been left to me through five generations of apostolic believers. I learned to pray by listening to my parents pray and listening to my grandparents pray. And I can even recall the sound of my great-grandmother's voice as she prayed. My children and I are the current generations that exist because of actions and events of past generations that were valued and replicated throughout the years. They were passed down to me. Many people, I've noticed, concern themselves over leaving their children and their grandchildren substantial inheritance funds. I don't think that that's going to happen in the Jordan family. Babe, I'm pretty sure that anything that we have ever accumulated probably has gone back to the church, kind of like my grandfather did. You know, I, I don't think that we're going to leave a huge amount of money uh, to our children. And if you're able to do that, God bless you for it. That's an incredible thing. But it seems like that a lot of people um, almost wear it as their final crown of glory, glory, the inheritance that they are able to leave their children. You see, an inheritance refers to what one generation gifts to the next generation. It is the tangible possessions that are left behind once a generation is gone. The Bible gives us an example of such an inheritance. We are all familiar with the story depicted in Luke 15 of the prodigal son who asked his father for his, or his portion of the father's intended material inheritance. The Bible says that soon he had squandered his inheritance. He had wasted it on wild living and shortly was left with nothing to show for his inheritance because now it was gone. His inheritance was not something that he had worked for. It was merely something that had been handed to him or that had been given to him. 
He didn't have blood, sweat, and tears sown into the gift that he received. So he didn't value it because he didn't personally have a vested interest in the inheritance. Not only did he not value it, but there was something inside of the son who felt like that he was entitled to the inheritance by mere association. The Bible says that when he had spent all and when he was left with nothing, that the son suddenly came to his senses. He realized that the real value was not in the inheritance of his father's house, but the real value was in the legacy of his father's house. He began to understand that there was something about the way that his father had raised him that was different than that of the friends who had encouraged him to live contrary to his father's teachings. It had dawned on him that the lifestyle that he was brought up in was not one of chaos or disorder and uncertainty, but it was a lifestyle of peace and of order and of security. He recognized that his brother, whom stayed with the father and kept his family within the boundaries of his father's house, was protected under the influence of his father, while he himself found himself vulnerable and defenseless. So the scripture says that the son made his way back to his father's house unassumingly, only planning to ask for a place with his father's servants who were not heirs to the father's legacy. But the father saw him coming. He must have been anticipating his son's arrival. It may have been that the father looked towards the horizon every day in faith that a promise would soon be fulfilled. Whatever it was, the father ran to his son. His son didn't look like he had looked when he left his father's house. He brought back with him the stench of the world that he had been living in. The Bible says that the father threw his arms around his son because it didn't matter to the father where the son had been. But he threw his arms around him and he called him son. Thank God for grace and mercy. Thank God that when we fail and when we fall, God wraps his arms around us and welcomes us back into his fold. He still continues to call us sons and daughters. I'm thankful for grace and mercy tonight. Anybody else thankful for the grace and mercy of God? The father never attempted to punish the son. He never rebuked his son for the mistakes that he had made. The father understood that the son had misinterpreted the value of his inheritance and had gotten his priorities out of order. But the father was okay with that, and he was willing to start over with his son. 
he didn't determine to make his son pay for the consequences of his mistakes over and over again for the rest of his life. His son was home, and that was all that mattered to the father. And now was that father's opportunity to instill in him the prized possession, the legacy of the father's house. An inheritance is what you leave behind, but a legacy is who you leave behind. It is those who, that's, who will say that I am what I am today because you took the time to invest in me, not once, not twice, but over and over again, you poured into me intentionally. A legacy is what you leave in someone that transforms them and shapes their lives to reflect what has been instilled in them. A legacy has an impact for years to come because it is intended to be passed from generation to generation. I am what I am because my mother passed to me what has been instilled to me. And my mother was what she was because my grandparents had passed to her and instilled in her what she thus passed to me. It is intended to be passed from generation to generation. This is more than just a concept or an ideal but it is actually a commandment of the Lord that you will find all throughout the scripture. David recorded it in Psalms, the 78th chapter, when he said that he would not hide the things of God from his children, but that he would open his mouth and tell the stories of old that had been passed to him throughout the generations, stories that demonstrated the deeds and the wonders and the powers of the Lord, he determined to pass to his children. And the reason that David was so adamant that he would pass these things along to his children and even to his descendants that were yet to be born was because God had commanded the children of Israel to do so. This is the intentional way that legacies are born, and it is the intentional way that legacies are passed on to future generations. Passing a legacy is like passing an Olympic torch to our children. It is the transition moment that says, I have run my race. I have finished my course. Now you take it. You keep it. You cherish it. Don't let the fire of this torch go out. Protect it and safeguard it. Put your own blood, sweat, and tears into this race until you have finished your course and pass this on to my grandchildren and they to their grandchildren. That is the intentional work of passing a legacy. You must be intentional in birthing a legacy to be left 
for your children and for the generations that are to come. If the Lord should tarry, there may be generations on this earth that are my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren or my great-great-grandchildren. I want to know before the Lord takes me home that I have instilled this apostolic truth so deep in my children that there is no fear that in a few generations that this truth will die out. But I want to pass a legacy to my children that is so intentionally deeply instilled in them that it will never die and that it will continue for generations to come. You may be leaving a legacy for your biological children or your grandchildren or your nieces or your nephews. Your legacy may be passed to children that you have influence over through children's ministry. It may be children or youth or young adults whose lives are heavenly influenced by you. Whomever they are, be intentional in birthing a legacy that can be passed to the next generation. Every Sunday, we don't even realize how blessed that we are. When these front rows and those white chairs that get stacked in that corner every week are literally filled to capacity with children and youth and young adults, giving it all they have in worship. I can't tell you the number of times that I have gone live on Facebook with our services, and I very intentionally will scan the front part of um, our auditorium, and I can't tell you how many people have made comments, oh my goodness, how in the world did you get those kids and those young people to sit in the front? We can't even get them off of the back rows. We are very, 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 very blessed. These kids that are sitting in this front row, I have done my dead level best to impact each one of them at some point in their lives. It may be something that has been very small, but I have done my best to be intentional in impacting their lives and passing something on to them. And now I'm watching as younger generations from me are turning around and impacting even younger generations. I shared with Jason and Dasa here a few weeks ago. It was on a Sunday night, and I came in, and I was surrounded by several kids. And I looked up, and Taryn come walking over. And, of course, I thought, well, I'm so important that, I mean, he would want to talk to me. I'm sure that's why he's walking over. And so I turned, and I smiled, and I was ready to listen to what he was getting ready to tell me. But Taryn bypassed me. And at first I thought, I thought it was your best friend. What in the world? But what I saw and what I witnessed moved me so deeply as he bypassed me to a bunch of little kids sitting right on that front row. And he bent down like this and he put his hands on his knees and he said, guys, I see you're sitting on the front row with Mama Jay. That is so awesome. So does that mean 
if I look over at you during service, then I'm going to see you worshiping like crazy. And those little kids looked at the big boy and said, yeah. He said, that's awesome. I'm going to be watching you. I'm good with that. Because he is going to pass on to younger generations what's been instilled in him. It hasn't just been children's ministry, but it's been a mama and daddy who have instilled in him the power of worship and the power of prayer and the power of being faithful. And he has watched their testimony, and he is going to pass it to younger generations. I praise God for that. I think that's incredible. The kids that you see sitting in the front, do you realize that their age ranges from three years old to about 26? Are you 26? Kids. Kids to me. I'm old enough to be your mama. It is what it is. They range from ages 3 to 26. My own children are included in this group that is sitting up here. I have a brand new generation that has taken a spot right next to me. And if they crowd me out, don't you dare get offended if you see me sitting in the floor. I would rather give my spot up to them than to discourage them and tell them that there is no room for them. I'll sit in the floor. I got no problem with that. I'd rather sit in the floor. It's more comfortable to me. I'm good with that. But they have taken a seat right next to me since the first of the year. And let me tell you, they watch every move I make. You're going to see me talking to them throughout the worship services and encouraging them to clap and to sing and to shout. Sunday night, I turn and Seth, I'm trying to remember even what song it was. Uh, I can't even think off the top of my head. But he was just singing with all his might. And I looked at him, I'm like, that's it, Bubba. Sing it louder. Why not? Do you think that I'm going to be able to encourage him when he's 18 years old and he's never worshipped in church? It's too late by then. I want to get him when they're young. I want to train him when they're young. I want them to grow up. To know that when you come to church, you worship. When you come to church, you dance. You shout. You clap your hands. You sing. You give it all your might. Because if they will learn that when they are a child, then they're not going to be an adult occupying a pew and not able to worship. I want them comfortable with their worship at a young age. I take advantage of every opportunity to pray with them and to affirm that God is touching their hearts. There was a little boy at the prayer conference that it was very obvious by his physical appearance that he had Down syndrome. And he didn't seem to be very verbal at all. But he was standing in the front. He couldn't have been four years old, I don't think. And he had his hands lifted and people were praying with them. And he just, he 
you know, was looking, and you could tell that that he was sincere in what he was doing. And I, I bent down in front of him. Of course, I'm going to, you know, my best friends are three foot and under. It just it is what it is. And I'm looking at him. I'm saying, Bubba, you're doing so good. I don't even know his name. I have no idea what his name was. But I looked at him, and I said, Bubba, is Jesus touching your heart? And with his hands lifted and with very little understanding, he communicated to me by going, because Jesus was touching his heart. I want to take every opportunity that I can to affirm to these kids that this isn't just play. They're not going to get it right all the time. They may get a little out of control here and there. Just close your eyes if it bothers you. Or face the back wall if you need to. But I'm going to affirm to them that what they are doing is worship unto God. It doesn't have to look like my worship. It doesn't have to sound like my prayers. It doesn't have to be the spitting image of me. But let them be individuals. Let their relationship with God be what represents their personality and their age. Let them establish it now so that they have a relationship with God when they're 15 and 16 and 18 and 21. And we don't have to fear losing one more generation to the world I refuse I refuse to lose another generation I will not stand idly by and watch them self-destruct but I will constantly go to them and pull them along and do everything I can to pass a legacy to them to instill in them hero Israel the Lord our God is one Lord there is one faith there is one baptism the Lord loves you the Lord wants you there's a place for you in Christian life church I am intentionally trying to influence their lives because if I am to leave a legacy with them, that legacy will only last as long as my influence lives in them. So if I can shape their worship and if I can shape their prayer lives, and if I can help to mold their relationship with God now, then my influence helps to frame their spiritual lives and develops the who that someday, if the Lord should tarry, I will leave behind. I hope that someday, if the Lord tarries, that if I am gone, that there are people who will look at the young people in this church and say, it is obvious that Sister Jordan was their pastor's wife. Look at how they're worshiping. Look that they are established. It's not about me, but it's about instilling something in them that will sustain them throughout their life. I don't need the accolades. It isn't about recognition or for anyone else to see. But if someone someday says, if it had not been for Mama J, I wouldn't be where I am today, then it was worth it and I will have left a legacy in them. 
Notice that I said that these kids are watching my every move. They in imitate what they see me do. Let me tell you something about imitation. It will either be one of two things. Either the imitation that you see coming from children will be the highest form of compliment or it will be a deafening voice of condemnation. They will imitate what they see. This past Sunday in Lebanon, Amira had gone with me. She wanted to go over to Lebanon, and the van had already left, and Sarah came to me, and she's like, I, don't, I, I hate to even ask you this, but Amira is wanting to go. And I said, well, you know, she can go with me. I got no problem with that. And so we went over, and I, I really wasn't paying attention. She didn't want to go in Sunday school class, but she wanted to sit next to me. And it started to kind of catch my peripheral vision that every time I lifted a hand, there was a little hand next to me that went up. And every time I clapped my hand, there was a set of hands next to me clapping. And every time I shouted amen, guess what I heard? And when I jumped, guess who else jumped? The little girl whose feet hurt her because of her condition. It was so staggering that when Spencer took the pulpit Sunday, he said, I just, I just want to say, Amira, your worship today has been amazing. I've watched your worship. And she sat there with the biggest, proudest smile on her face. Because in her mind, she wasn't uh, imitating me. She was worshiping God. It just so happened that I was the pattern standing next to her. When your children are standing next to you, what do they see? And what are they doing? And if it's a problem, go ahead and send them to the front row with me. And Pastor and I will have our lawyer <laughs> draw up adoption papers. You laugh. I'm serious. What do they see? They're going to imitate you. Set the example that will help to mold and to shape their lives for eternity. What they are becoming now is what they will be when they are an adult. That's a scary thing. Shape them now while they are young. You cannot give what you don't have. You must possess what it is that you desire to pass on to your children. Do as I say without setting the precedence, is not going to work. They want to see it in you. This past week, I was turned into a program called Mangan Moments. Uh, it was last Wednesday. It was with uh, Pastor Anthony and Sister Mickey Mangan. It's a, um, a live a broadcast, an interactive broadcast that they've started since the first of the year, and they do it once a month. And it just so happened that this month and next month, 
that they have a very special guest that is sitting in on that broadcast, and her name happens to be Vesta Mangan. <laughs> of course, I was really excited. It was way cool. Well, on Wednesday last week, she was talking about raising children and about instilling in them a love for the kingdom of God and for prayer. And she made one of the most powerful statements that while it is a very simple statement, resonated so deeply with me. And this is what she said. The most powerful teacher is an example. If our goal is to pass on to our children and grandchildren a legacy of seeking after the things of God first, seek ye the kingdom of God. If it is our goal to pass that on to our children, if we desire for our children to walk after the spirit instead of fulfilling the lust of their flesh, if we desire for them to be powerful in prayer to the point that when they pray, heaven is shaken, then we must possess what we want them to have and example it before them. It is our duty to do so. A legacy encompasses how to live and how to die. It is living a consistent life in front of our children that demonstrates to them a life well-lived that gains a heavenly reward. This example speaks to our children that if you will follow this example, that you can say the same thing, I know of a surety who my Redeemer is. I know that I am going to end a heavenly reward. Do you want to destroy your legacy? Live a hypocritical life in front of your children. Show them inconsistencies in what you say and you profess to believe versus what it is that you actually do. That will destroy your legacy in a moment. And it'll be hard to ever gain that back. But live a consistent lifestyle in front of your children and they will replicate it. Live a life in front of your children and in front of your grandchildren or in front of the children and the youth and the young adults who are watching you that passes on core values of this apostolic message and demonstrates what a life lived for God actually looks like. Here a few months ago, Dylan had been over to uh, Brother and Sister Sanchez's house, and uh, they're not here tonight, but um, I have heard their own children talk about his life of prayer. And it's one thing for your own children to say, this is what my parents do. But when someone else's child visits your house, and that child comes home like Dylan does and says, Mom, that man is a man of prayer. He is in his prayer closet more than he is out with his family. And he is hearing the voice of God. I'm telling you, his prayer life is amazing. That is an example that my son is watching and that my son saw. Your legacy 
is the final chapter of your life, uh, the final chapter of your life's book that sums up the theme by which you have lived by. Leaving a legacy is the greatest eternal reward that you will ever receive. You can lay up all the riches in this world, but when they lay you in that casket, I've got news for you. Those dollar bills are not going with you. Neither are the hundreds or whatever it is that you have in the bank. But your legacy, what you instill in your children, is going to have eternal reward. God does not think in temporary realms, but he thinks with eternity in mind. Everything that we do should be with, inter with eternity in mind, not just for us, but for our children as well. Before my husband and I make any kind of life decisions, we first talk about not what is this just going to mean to you? And what is it going to mean to me? But what is it going to mean to our children? And what is it going to do to our home? Life is just for a season. I, I, I am amazed that I'm 48 years old. I have no clue how this happened and how it went by so fast. It's just short. You don't have that much time. And we are here today, and guess what? We're going to be gone tomorrow. We have a short span of time to instill in our children the legacy that we want to leave behind. According to the International Bible Society, nearly 85% of people who become Christians do so between the ages of four and 14. And they refer to it as the 414 window. That is not a lot of time, ladies and gentlemen, to influence them and to instill in them core values and beliefs. If we're lucky, our children and our grandchildren will stick around through their college age years and maybe will continue to value our input. What are we imparting to them? What is our life saying to them? What steps are we taking today to ensure that we will leave a godly legacy for our families to follow tomorrow? It has been said that either you can give a child a fish to temporarily satisfy their hunger, or you can teach that child how to fish and give them the skills that they will need to never go hungry in this lifetime. If we are going to leave a legacy for our children, we are going to have to put in place the infrastructure by which they will build their lives into their adulthood and pass on to their children. We are going to have to pass on the skills that they will need to win spiritual battles. But if we never win a spiritual battle... And if we are always defeated, don't expect for your children to walk in victory. Teach them the skills of how to win a spiritual battle. 
we are going to have to pass on a love for the word of God that will serve as the blueprint for their lives. We are going to have to demonstrate what a consistent, a consistent, a consistent, a daily, a 365 life looks like in a walk with God for them to be able to follow or they won't even know. They won't even know what it looks like if we don't demonstrate it in front of them. We are going to have to set a precedence and enforce biblical principles in their young lives that when the doors of the church are open, we are there because we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Nothing is more important than being in the house of the Lord. We need to instill in them biblical principles that when pastor calls for a sacrifice in giving, our family gives sacrificially because if we give, we cannot outgive God. That's a biblical principle. God will always give back in greater measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We need to instill in them principles that when a church, when the church is called to seasons of fasting, our family will fast. It is not an option because, biblically speaking, our flesh needs to be crucified every day. Your flesh needs to be crucified. My flesh needs to be crucified. Pastor's flesh needs to be crucified. Nobody is exempt to that biblical principle. And when it comes to prayer, whether it's pre-service prayer, prayer meetings, 24-hour prayer signups, family prayer, daily prayer in the home, we all will humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God because, biblically speaking, it is the way that God will hear us and we will gain the attention of heaven and God will heal our land as a result of prayer. Those are the things that we need to be instilling in our children. When my husband and I, and I hope it's okay if I share this, when my husband and I were in Texas, my uh, husband had gone up um, to uh, the area that his, uh, our, our brother-in-law uh, owns a, um, what does he own? Where he works on cars, <laughs> a shop. <laughs> and he was having a tire fixed, and um, my Anthony had sent, said, you need to go to such and such a place. He said, um, he'll take good care of you, and he'll, you know, he'll do you right, and so my husband went to this establishment, and he sat in there, and, and the guy gave him a great deal on four tires for a trailer. Woohoo! <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> he was excited. I was happy for him. It was a good deal. Well, my husband was sitting there, and <laughs> I, really, I know. I'm a girl. But he was sitting there, and, and the owner um, kept coming out and, and talking with him. And was very, very nice and very friendly, and the owner's wife came out and um, was talking with him, and finally the owner looked at my husband, and he said, you don't recognize me, do you? 
my husband kind of <laughs> deer in the headlights. <laughs> I got no clue. Chrissy didn't say it like that. He said, no, I, I'm so sorry. But I, I just, I, I don't recognize who you are. And the owner began to tell him who he was. And he was a young person in a church that was up in the area where my husband was raised. His family was very, very strong in the church, pillars in the church. And this man had walked his own way. And he had married a girl outside of the faith. And when the wife realized that my husband was apostolic, she kind of turned and went the other way because I'm sure that she has recognized the regret in this man's life that now he can't undo. And so he began to talk to my husband. He said, I, I follow you on Facebook. <laughs> I stalk you, in other words. He said, I, I follow your ministry, and I follow your boys and, and their ministry, and I just, I think that it's so incredible, and um, my husband shared with him that Dylan and uh, Gentry and Evan are getting ready to leave next Thursday for the Philippines. Gentry will be preaching a youth camp, and I thank God for that. Tell me I'm bragging all you want. It's not bragging. <laughs> There's some thankfulness in this heart, in this mom's heart, because I know that that story could have been a whole lot different. My husband walked outside, and the man followed him outside and went around the back corner of the building where no one could see him. And he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a $100 bill. And he put it in my husband's hand. He said, I know that $100 doesn't go very far in ministry. But would you do me the favor of taking this $100 and invest it in the ministry that your boys are getting ready to do in the Philippines? And my husband, he just sat there holding on to this, this man, holding on to my husband's hand with that $100 bill in his hand. And he said, I pay more than this for one baseball bat. Because I raised my son to be a baseball player. But I wish that I would have taken that money. And I wish that I would have invested it in the ministry that God had called me to. And now my son is a baseball player. I would rather invest in the fact that I want my children to remain apostolic. I want them to know what it's like for God to hear and to answer their prayers. I want them to know and to comprehend that had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, how many times would we have been taken under? How many times was my family's lives in jeopardy because the enemy had a different plan? I want them to know, and I want them to testify, and I will testify to them, and I expect them to testify to their children that God brought me out, that God has blessed, that it has been nothing but the grace and the mercy of God in our lives. Our children need to know that a non-praying church member is not a child of God at all. 
they are merely strangers to God. And they are only observing a church event. In fact, the word of God tells us that there will come a day when we stand before God at judgment and some will proudly present to him the list of all the things that they have done. We paid our tithes, Lord. We were faithful to the house of God. We supported missions and we supported widows. We have prophesied in your name. We have cast out devils in your name. We have done many wonderful works in your name. But Jesus said, not everyone that calls me Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he will say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I didn't even know who you were. I never met you in the secret place where I waited for you. I never heard your voice calling out to me from your prayer closet. I spoke to you in a still small voice, but your flesh was so strong and so loud that it drowned out my voice. I drew you to prayer and to consecration, but you felt like you were exempt because your schedule was so busy with everything else except for the work of my kingdom. I don't know you. I don't recognize your voice. I never want the Lord to look at me and say, depart, I never knew you. I want him to know my voice. I want him to know my name. When he calls, I want to answer. You see, prayer builds your relationship with God. It is foundational. You cannot build a strong house without having a sure and secure foundation. You cannot build a strong walk with God without a strong foundation of prayer. Prayer is the very breath of every spiritual life of a child of God. You cannot survive without the ability to intake air through your nose or your mouth. The air is then processed through your lungs and carbon dioxide is expelled as you exhale. Your lungs filter the air and then push life-sustaining oxygen into your bloodstream. Once in your bloodstream, oxygen travels throughout our bodies to help produce energy and keep our organs viable and alive. The same is true when it comes to prayer. You cannot survive without the ability to take in what is gleaned and what is established through prayer. Prayer is processed through the spiritual body and removes all of the impurities that can be toxic to the life of a child of God. The life-sustaining benefits of prayer run through the blood of Jesus Christ that, that flows through our spiritual veins. Prayer keeps us viable and alive. It keeps us useful in the kingdom of God. It produces energy to fight spiritual battles. It gives us strength to get back up when we fall. 
It gives us tenacity to stand our ground while we wait on an answer from God. Prayer is our lifeline. If we don't pass on a legacy of prayer to our children, they will never survive this world. They may fare well physically, but spiritually they will be anemic and they will be in critical condition. Teach your children to pray. I could put in your hands all the trick of the trades. I've got stacks of stuff from kids' prayer. I could teach you how to play and pray. I could, I could teach you how to focus on the 1040 window, all of these little tricks of the trade. But until there is a paradigm shift in our homes and in our way of thinking that we've got to have it first before we ever expect our children to have it, it would do us no good. We must teach them. We must example in front of them how to pray and how to seek the face of God. When the disciples came to Jesus and requested of him, Lord, teach us to pray. They were asking Jesus to impart within them the ability to touch heaven with their prayers and to be able to see results just like Jesus did. They had watched him pray and fish were multiplied. They had seen him pray and deaf ears were opened. They saw him pull away every day to pray. They knew that his strength came when he prayed. The scripture is full of men and women who understood the power of prayer. The most powerful, successful people in the Bible were moved or, and who moved heaven and got the attention of the Almighty God were people of prayer Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David, Nehemiah, Daniel, Anna, the prophetess. Hannah prayed in the temple that God would give her a son. The Bible says that her prayers were so intense that Eli rebuked her for being drunk. But God heard Hannah's prayer and gave her Samuel. There was something that Hannah passed on to Samuel that many parents are not willing to pass because it calls for great sacrifice. I have said before, and I'll say it again, when my husband and I brought our children to the front of this building and we dedicated them to the Lord, we had no idea what we were asking for. We had no idea what that would mean. We didn't understand that when we said, God, we want our boys to be men of God. We want them to be powerful. Use them for your glory. Use them in the kingdom. We had no idea that in about, a, what, a week from tomorrow, my boys are going to be halfway across the world without me. That's a hard pill to swallow. It, it sometimes calls for great sacrifice, and Hannah was willing to make that sacrifice. She took her son, and she gave him to the service of the Lord at an early age. She positioned him in the temple to learn to serve the Lord's house. Hannah aligned her son with a man of God who could guide him in areas of ministry. If you want to better your children, align them with men and women of God who will influence them with the things of God instead of the things of this world. 
If your kids' greatest influences are their teachers and their friends at school, you've got a problem. You need to get them in the house of God. You need to get them aligned with young people or young adults or other adults who will say, that's not the direction you need to go, baby. Let's turn around and let's look towards the kingdom of God in working for the Lord. And thus a legacy was birthed and passed to Samuel. And he intended to pass it to future generations. It is recorded in 1 Samuel 12 when Samuel declared, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you. I will example it to you. I will pass it on to you. The ways that are good and that are right. Because he learned it from his mother. That's not to say that his father didn't play an important role. But the fact was somebody was intentional in positioning their child to live a life of legacy. Teach your children to pray. I beg you. I implore you. Don't let them be a lost generation. Teach them to pray. Teach them that prayer moves mountains. Teach them that prayer obtains promises. Teach them that prayer will cause fire to fall from heaven. Teach them, Sister Robin, that prayer will heal the sick and it will raise the dead. Not then, but today. Teach them that prayer shuts the mouths of lions and silences the voices of their enemies. Teach them that prayer causes them to be victorious in every battle. Leave your children a legacy of prayer. Teach them by example. Be intentional about it. If you don't have children that are still at home, but you have grandchildren, pull them along with you. Let them see grandma and grandpa praying when it comes time to go to pre-service prayer don't sit in here if you're worried about losing your spot put your purse down or bring a blanket spread it out and write your name on it but when it comes to pre-service prayer get yourself next door grab your children by the hand grab your grandchildren by the hand don't let our young adult voices be the only voices that they hear praying in their prayer room where are the elders where are the grandparents where are the parents Teach them how to pray. Example it before them. This much I promise you. If you will be intentional and you will pass a legacy of prayer to your children, I can assure you I am living proof. Greater things than these will they do. The things that my children are doing, I will never be able to do. And guess what? I'm perfectly fine with that because I understand that it was something that their father instilled in them or something that maybe by some slim chance that I instilled in them that is allowing them to be used mightily of God. My children know how to pray. And when someday if God blesses me with 10 granddaughters... That was prophetic. I felt it in the Holy Ghost. But when I am blessed, 
with grandchildren. Let me tell you something. When they come over to my house, guess what, baby? We're praying. And if I find out my boys aren't praying in their home, mama's coming over. And mama's going to clean house if I have to take a house shoe to them. They're going to pass it on because I want to see them accomplish more than I've ever accomplished. I want them to be more powerful than I've ever been. I want them to be involved more in the work of ministry than what I have ever dreamed about doing. I want to pass to them a legacy that will sustain them and that will keep them and that one day I will know of a surety that I will meet them on the other side. I want to pass a legacy on to my children. If you feel that way and you are willing to commit to the Lord that you are going to take this word as poorly as what I may have spoken it tonight, but you're going to take it and you're going to let it settle in your spirit and you are willing to commit to God that whatever it takes, I am going to instill in my children how to pray and have a walk with God. I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to lift your hands. I don't want to hear a mealy mouse prayer coming from this congregation, but I want to hear a heart's cry. I want to hear it resonate through this building. I want those children over on the other side to say what is going on in that sanctuary because it sounds like mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and pastor and all of those adults are getting a hold of God. I should resonate so loud that they come in here and say, I don't want to miss what's going on. Let it resonate. Let it come from the depths of your being. I will pass this on to my children. I will not lose another generation. There will be a legacy past of apostolic beliefs and doctrines. They will be strong men and women of God. Come on, can you commit that to the Lord tonight? Can you commit that to the Lord tonight?